0: love me I don't deserve grace on top of grace more than I've asked for more than I'm worth grace on top of grace oh and how sweet the sound once lost and now found heaven came down and grace rescued me Hallelujah, I am free from my sin and penalty. Oh, at the cross you took my place. with your grace on top of grace. Yeah, with your grace on top of grace. Lord, how you love. Lord, how you love me, I don't deserve grace on top of grace. And more than I've asked for, more than I'm worth, grace on top of grace. Oh, and how sweet the sound of once lost and now found. Oh, heaven. Excuse me. Hallelujah, I am free. My sin and penalty. Oh, at the cross, you took Sweet the sound, oh and how sweet the sound, once lost but now found, oh heaven, came down, brings rescue me, oh and how sweet the sound, once lost but now found, oh heaven. rescued me hallelujah I am free from my sin and pain oh at the cross you took my place with your grace on top of grace oh with your grace on top of grace oh hallelujah I am free from my sin and pain Oh, at the cross you took my place With your grace on top of grace Yeah, with your grace Once you guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning. Lord with gladness Come to Him singing with joy Oh and enter His gates with thanksgiving Come to His courts with praise Oh give thanks to and let's praise His name Cause He is the Lord, He's worthy to be Lord he's worthy to be he is the Lord he's worthy God and we are His people, the ones He has called His children, saved by His mercy and grace. We'll take the place of his glory glory oh and nothing could take the place of his
1: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. See, some of you complain all the time. You know, you need to start at 9:30. This is what it looks like when we start at 9:30. <laughs> oh, it's good to see you this morning. I hope you had a wonderful week of winter, because apparently it's supposed to be over tonight. So, uh, welcome to spring. Summer will be on Tuesday. And uh, would you take your worship guides and open them up? I've got a few things uh, that I want to highlight uh, for you. We have a preteen camp. Uh, February 15th through the 17th, um, coming up, the names of the folks going are in there, so please be in prayer for them. Um, I want to mention also uh, there's a a volunteer card for uh, preschool children's ministry uh, and then other information uh, in here that you need to see for upcoming events. If it seems like I'm hurrying, it's because I am. We have a lot going on this morning, and uh, that's why we started actually on time, and and, uh, I want to highlight some things. I've been getting a lot of questions since uh, New York passed their Let's Kill Babies Act. And uh, I want to make it clear, because we don't talk about it all the time, we are an absolutely pro-life church. That means we care about people inside of the womb, outside of the womb from the moment of conception. Uh, we believe that they are a special and unique creation of God. And I'm getting quite a few questions from people asking, what can we do about it? Short of marching on New York, which I assure you would not be a, a very good ending, you can be involved in helping people that are in crisis pregnancy. Seriously, and I'm not just saying this. Take a deep breath. The Pregnancy Help Center here locally does a phenomenal job ministering to men and women, women and men who are finding themselves in crisis pregnancy situations and uh, you hear about it all the time. In fact, so much that it's really easy kind of just to blow it off and kind of just take it for granted. Um, It is not a pro-life organization. It is an organization that helps people in crisis pregnancy. They they, They promote life, they promote adoption. They can't force people to do anything, but they are there to reach not just the person's physiological and familial needs, but also their spiritual needs. Phenomenal organization. And I know that it's very frustrating to sit back on the news and watch, no matter if you're Democrat or Republican, it's frustrating to watch what's going on in New York and in our country, to hear people who are so flippant about casting life away. Well, don't sit back and take it then. Get involved. Adopt a child. Uh, get involved in the pregnancy help center well I'm busy I have 32 kids of my own I can't adopt a kid well right now in your insert perfect timing is baby palooza look at that go buy some diapers and they will take care of it. they have phenomenal people in ministry that help people in crisis both men and women and this is a way you can be involved so don't just get grumpy don't just watch Fox News don't decide to get more ammo cuz we're gonna march on New York we're not gonna do that get involved and if, if this is not a ministry you wanna get involved with, then get involved with the Mosaic Center because that's pro-life. It helps women in crisis or the Men's Job Corps uh, that uh, Robert Grimes and Jared and we as a church support, Get involved in a ministry that supports, that, that's pro-people, pro-life. We even have a ministry here on Sunday afternoons that goes to nursing homes and, me- and ministers to people in nursing homes. You may or may not have known that. We've got a jail ministry here. And it's really easy for us in, in, our, in our mind, it's really easy for us to make this about unborn children. It's about unborn children, but it's also about born people. And uh, if you if you value life, and that's a significant thing God is doing in your heart, and you're frustrated with what's going on in the world, then value life. Even to the point when your waitress pours tea on you, don't tell her off. She's got 32 kids of her own, and she's single parenting. Love people. Change culture. Don't just write on Facebook. Actually, reach out to people and love each other. That's what we do. So I wanted to encourage you. We are involved in Baby Palooza. We got a big box out there. So drop stuff in it. Pick up when you go to the grocery store this week or Walmart. Pick up an extra thing of diapers and uh, and and take it by the Pregnancy Help Center if you have time and you want to be active. Get involved with them. Get involved with Mosaic. If you don't know where to get involved, you call the office. Dolores Smith knows everybody in this town, and she would be glad to plug you into a ministry. Dolores, you're supposed to say amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. So, having said that, we are in the middle. We are starting something new this year. We talked about it last week. Jared Pig, where are you? Come on. Where are you? I heard you. Uh, That's scary. Come on. We are going to, every year, I think in the month of February, it may change a little bit, this is the first year we're doing, you are a tall drink of water. Uh, (laughs) But we, <laughs> how's the weather up there? I've, I've, you know what? You've never heard that. I never heard. Anyway, just stand there and smile. Um, but we, uh, we, we really want to find ways of letting you know what you're involved with by way of missions. It's too easy to give and hear about missions and not be involved. So we're going to annually, right? We're going to annually Take a month every year and we're going to emphasize what God is doing, not through what you're going to give, but what you have given. And we started that last week. It's the whole month of February. The last Sunday of February, we're going to have a special speaker. Uh, Please be here. He's great. We're going to emphasize, uh, we're going to to fill the entryway with uh, missionary tables from some of the people we support, local ministries you can get involved in. We want you to know what you're doing. I'm going to say one more thing and then I'm going to turn it over to you because this morning we're going to have a mission report. Um, understand that in many Southern churches, predominantly Southern Baptist churches, you have the general budget during the year. You give, we pay bills with that. And then twice a year, especially in Southern Baptist churches, they'll take a love offering and that love offering goes for missions. We don't do that here. Uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, in the past, what's happened, um, it, it doesn't matter why, but but we, we take... A tithe that you give every year, a significant portion, and at this point it's like 15 or 16%, and we give that to missions. 16% of every dollar you give immediately leaves this facility and goes to serve the Lord somewhere else. That, that, so, so this is, when you give, you're not just giving so that uh, for Jeff and Alicia and Julie and I, uh, you're you're giving the mission work, and so we want you to know what you're already giving. This is not building up for a special love offering. This is what you're already doing, and we're super thankful and we're super excited about that. Jared Pig, so you know that Robert. Let me give you some structure things. Robert Grimes is the pastor of missions. He's he's he volunteers his times to oversee missions come year in, year in and year out. Uh, then we have a mission investment team that takes about uh, uh, about forty seven thousand dollars a year, and they are required. They are given the responsibility of of disseminating that to mission groups that they interview, that they watch over. Uh, Jared is the chairman of that team for the next year, right? Uh, This This is his last year. And so I've asked him to come and introduce uh, the person who's gonna share a mission with you this morning. So Jared, thank you. Jared has worked very, very hard. Can you you thank him for his hard work, folks?
2: Thank you, guys. you know who I am. Not too important. Just remember the tall, goofy guy in the Brazil jersey. The handsome guy in the Brazil jersey uh, was really adamant about this uh, Mission Sunday, and uh, what, exactly what Mark said. This is really important. Uh, we hope everybody can come and invite all your friends to that. It's a great way to get with the local ministries here in town, like Mosaic and God and Christian Men's Shop Court. There's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of local ministries here, and we even have one guy that wants to come in from uh, South Texas at a, a Bible Institute that wants to be be out here. So he's gonna be driving eight hours, so please, please uh, come and, and, and partake in that. Um, I wanna do two things. One, introduce our special uh, uh, person that's special to me. But if you're on the Mission Investment Team, could you stand up? It's Chastie. Ah, Yvette, okay, sorry. I'm, this is the first time I'm seeing with lights. So this is Chastie Overby. I see Yvette Albertson. Uh, Letney Head and Rex Gray are our other uh, mission investment team. That shows you who, who you can go to and talk to about any questions. And obviously, our uh, 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 missions pastor, uh, Roberto, as I call him, uh, he is, uh, any of us, can, you can come. And, and, and we should have most of the answers. So feel free to bug us about anything that's on your mind or your heart about that. Uh, so, the next thing we wanted to do was let somebody share about one of our normal trips that we've been doing is the Amazon trip. And this person is extremely special to me and I just want to say that the very first time I ever got to introduce with this, uh, this Amazon trip was meeting my wife for the very first time and she started talking about um, uh, eight years of going into the middle of the rainforest and sharing the gospel and doing this amazing work and that was, in itself was a rarity for me, me and a, me and a girl. but. Uh, God had done so many great things, and upon meeting my family, I can't even start to tell you how much uh, I respect and love uh, my in-laws, who are like parents to me, because they are, they have an amazing heart for God, they empty their resources and their heart and everything else into this Amazon trip, among many other things, and, uh, and Pam and Kevin are, are, just their love is unrivaled uh, for the people I know, so I want to introduce Pam Hudson. And she's going to speak to you a little bit about the Amazon trip and a little bit of the story that's uh, evolved from all that. Give her a hand.
3: Bon dia. Vamos ahora. Let's pray. Father God, this is your story. Um, just help me tell it well. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay. So here we go. Um, Good morning. Thank you for showing up. Uh, thanks for allowing us to share um, 10 years in 10 minutes. Wish me luck. Um, <coughs> Carpenters Way started Amazon Trips back in 2003. Uh, most of our trips were open. We, we have great adventurers, uh, especially our fearless leader who started us off, Cecil Jackson. Uh, we wanted to go somewhere that uh, the boat had never been. Uh, we wanted to be the first to share the gospel, beyond the frontier, um, talk about Jesus when they had never heard the word Jesus. Uh, we all tried as best we could to be open to whatever God had for us, um, and the Brazilian missionaries were our guides. Uh, the villages are sometimes very closed uh, to, what, to outsiders, especially the Brazilian missionaries from the city. Um, when you bring doctors and dentists, uh, they're much more welcoming. We Americans are like elephants in the circus. They send us out on a little John boat, and here we go, the elephants. If you are familiar with Barnum and Bailey, that's us. We look funny, we sound funny, um, and so they, if for nothing else, just out of curiosity, they would come to the village where we were working that day, just so we could see they could see what we had to offer. Um, after about five trips of seeing many different parts of the river, in 2009, we had the privilege of meeting um, Pastor Mario and Josiara Silva and Nara, who's in the audience today, Uh, they had just arrived back in Brazil um, for Mario to take a missions pastor uh, position at the Igreja Presbyteriana in Manaus. And because their furniture had not arrived, because everything gets stuck in customs in Brazil, uh, they had no bed. So they said, go get on the boat. So uh, their inconvenience ended up being our blessing. God was arranging a beautiful friendship uh, and a great partnership. Over the next year, uh, the Silvas began working in an area um, called um, the city of Bahrainia. Bahrainia is a small city of about 30,000 people on the far eastern side um, of the state of Amazonas. It's about a 28-hour boat ride, so that'll kind of give you an idea of how far they go. So our next trip in 2010, um, we had church in the street. There you can see our fearless leader right there in the back and his lovely wife. Um, But you can also see that most of the people in the audience are Americans. Now this is actually the pastor's home, so we would set up uh, chairs in the street (laughs) and hope there would be no traffic, and um, we would have our service. We also would work in small villages all around the city of Bahrainia. By 2011, uh, we were able to help uh, with painting the church. It's a really nice color, don't you like that? Um, they now had approximately 50 families which in US numbers that's about 250 people. Uh, the believers in the neighboring villages we visited are beginning to grow. The numbers are growing and the church. there's also three other churches constructed in this area. Um, <clears throat> of course Super Mario, as we call him, uh, is not content with the growth. So he scouts out an area just southeast of Bahrainia called the Andira River, where the tribes of the Sacheray Maui's people live. It took him 30 days to go village to village in a boat. I think probably about 54 villages total. He shared his newfound area with us and we began praying that we would be able to visit. We continued to work the Bahrainia area and pray. And we prayed. And we waited. Three years. In March 2015, Pastor Mario and Pastor Honildo visited the Teshawa. In, in their tribal area, the chief is called the Tishawa. I guess you can pretty much figure out which one he is. Um, of Praia Dorada, a village at the mouth of the Andara, to ask for permission to serve on the river. The Tishawa's daughter that Mario is holding, this young woman right here, is the secret to how we got there. This, it's an incredible story. Uh, Yara was four years old and she had not walked. Pastor uh, Mario and his group, they prayed for her as they left the village, um, putting it in God's hands. Within a few days, word uh, word was sent up the river that Yara was walking, walking, amen, and Pastor Mario could bring whoever he wanted to visit because the Teshawa wanted to know more about this God that had healed his daughter. In July 2015, we took our first trip to the Andorra River to visit the satere Maui's people. The villages were very dark, very oppressed. Um, The people were very distrusting and distant. They would even treat us stranger than we probably looked. Um, We had only one male translator and one female translator. Uh, And if you've ever been in a situation, triple translating is brutal. Satire my way to Portuguese, Portuguese to English, English to Portuguese, Portuguese to Satire. You really have to kind of stay on task, and the story has to be very simple. In women's ministry, uh, one of the matriarchs of the village told the leader, um, I have tupana in my heart. I don't have room for this Jesus. And the struggle inside us began. Are we bringing confusion to the village? Um, how do we make the message clear? We'll only be here a week, and then what happens when we leave? We left Portuguese Bibles and prayed a lot, and the relationship began. Pastor Mario's team continued to visit as much as they could. When we returned in 2016, the transformation of the village in only one year, one year and Portuguese Bibles, was amazing. They smiled at us. They welcomed us. Um, and they had the cleanest dirt floors you've ever seen. <laughs> we saw families changed by only God and His Word. They were eager and hungry to hear more. We were able to take Satire Bibles the next year, uh, and it was like gold. It was like a treasure to them. In the village of Guaranatuba, uh, they showed us where a church uh, used to be, and that was, it was a left vacant lot. Um, there were a couple of uh, support poles left and lots and lots of weeds. They wanted to build a church. God provided funding from the churches in Manaus, Bahrainia, and our own neighbor, First Baptist Church, Newton, Texas, and the construction began. And this is the church that we dedicated last July. On our trip in July 2017, God arranged for us to be in Guaranatuba at exactly the same time the Teshawas from all the villages of three neighboring rivers were having their annual conference. They participated in our ministry meeting, and before we left the area, Pastor Mario and his team were given a formal letter from the Teshawa of all the Teshawas, an open invitation to visit all of the villages on all three rivers. We have a lot of work to do. <laughs> in four years, God has provided miracles and blessings for all of us to see and experience, too many for just 10 minutes. He transforms small, dark villages into places where love and hope is demonstrated. His fingerprints are visible every time we sit, We visit our family on the Andara. We have visited about, I hate to say, but only about 10 villages. There's a new church, five new water wells, and lots and lots of brothers and sisters in Christ. But as you can see, we have many villages to reach, So come be a part of what God is doing on the Andara. Join us July 26th through August the 4th for our next adventure. Thank you guys for everything that you do for us. We would not make it without your prayers, your support, and your encouragement. But come see what it's all about because this is just a little piece of the pie. Um, You guys are amazing, and I have these if you want one. Thank you, guys.
1: So if you grew up in the church, uh, missions was something you gave to at VBS, it's something you gave to a Camp, something you hear about in the church, Um, and and I feel like for those of you who, who grew up Southern Baptist, most missions in the Southern Baptist Church is the INB or American Mission Board, and you give to that, and it's this thing, and you may see pictures, but I want you to know one of the things I love about Carpenter's Way is you are neck deep involved in missions. Again, every time you give, a significant amount of that money goes towards mission. And then on top of that, as I talked last week, there's a lot of money beyond that that goes. Every person that goes raises their support or you support them. So Carpenter's Way, if you're new to Carpenter's Way or you're not new, you need to know we are neck deep committed to mission work global. We want to reach people for Christ so we can go home. Remember that Scripture says that until every nation is heard, until every language and tongue has heard the gospel, the Lord's not coming back. So let's hurry this process up and get home. I'm so sick of the news. I'm so sick of the conflict. Let's go home. Let's reach people for Jesus. Be involved. And, and if you can't go, our, our dream as elders has been for years now that every able-bodied, relatively healthy person we have in our church needs to go on a short-term mission trip. We will help you finance it. We put money aside on top of that 15%. We got money set aside to help you go. Yes, there's going to be money raising stuff. We'll help you do that. But you need to go because those pictures come alive when they do. For those of us, how many of you have been on the Amazon with, with Amazon Outreach or these trips? Lots and lots of people. Those of us who have been on a trip, remember the pink dolphins? We can see stuff in that picture that you don't see. Now, they're not in that picture, but I, I thought that was a joke. I thought that was like, you know, they. I think one of the rumors on it is they're mermaids or whatever. But I'm telling you what, there are pink dolphins, and it is incredible. Not only do you see God's handiwork in the beauty, but you see God's supernatural work in the lives of people. And, uh, okay, so at the end of the month, when we have the tables out there, Amazon Outreach is gonna be out there. Pam's gonna be at a table. We're gonna have our uh, Guatemala team. Last week, Robert talked about taking a group to, uh, to visit with Cassidy in, in Haiti. Lots of opportunities. I mentioned this morning, Pregnancy Help Center, Mosaic Center, we've got CISC. There are ministries in this town. These are just a few. Tons of ministries where you can get involved in, in the worship guide, looking for people to hug on children, kid huggers, you don't even have to teach, just love people. That's what we do, then we go home and retire, but right now we work, and uh, look what God is doing on the river. We have, we didn't even, t- we're not even going to talk this month about India, so let me just tell you, we have built so many churches in India, the name Carpenter's Ways on the side, I know we don't care about that, but just the money we sent goes towards that, and God is using you, and you'll meet people in heaven. I was going to sing thank you right now, but I would kill the song, and we're all sick of that song. A little sick of the song, Chad? You were going to do it, okay? Anyway, all right, so take a deep breath. I'm going to stop now. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time as we prepare for our offering. Again, this doesn't just go for the lights. It doesn't just go for the staff. This goes for mission work. So two things. If you're visiting with us this morning, please don't give. This is our commitment. If you're part of Carpenter's Way, you're either a taker or a giver, we talked about that last week, and it's okay to be a taker for a season, but we need you to participate uh, so that we can continue to do these things, and, and um, we're gonna balance this group out in a second. Maybe, <laughs> we'll, we'll work it out, it's just like communion. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, and, and thank you for uh, Kevin, and Pam, and Cecil, and Amazon Outreach. And the dozens and dozens, I want to say over 100 people from this church that has been on the Amazon serving you, both old and young, sharing the gospel with children and adults, feeding them, doing medical examinations. Um, Lord, thank you for the, the privilege of being the hands and feet of Jesus, of bringing good news to people. Thank you that we get to participate with that. And I know, Father, that there's there's those who have never been on the mission field outside of our local service that's important it's, it's it's our it's our daily task but father what a privilege it is to go or or to send and I pray father that we would be cheerful givers that that you would become pivotal to our worship and even giving would become pivotal to our worship lord we do love you we're thankful that you would choose to use people like us lord I pray that you would stir our hearts this month for world missions uh, that starts locally that we would As you told the disciples, we would be passionate for Jerusalem, that we'd be willing to go to Judea, that we would go to Samaria, and even the uttermost parts of the world, that the gospel would be spread so that you can take us home. Father, we're ready to go home. So, Lord Jesus, until then, may we be faithful. And when that moment comes, may we be ready. In Jesus' name we
4: pray. Amen.
0: with us, you're
5: more than welcome.
0: By grace alone somehow I stand Where even angels fear to tread Invited by redeeming love Before the throne of God above He pulls me close with a nail scarred hand into his everlasting arm, when condemnation grips my heart and Satan tempts me to. I hear the voice that scatters fear The great I am, the Lord is here Oh, praise the one who fights for me And shields my soul eternally Oh, and boldly approach your throne, blameless now I'm running home. Fix spotless this righteousness. you give life you are love you bring life to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken and great are you Lord it's your
4: Wilkie, I am Pastor Mark's son, the younger attractive Wilkie all right, like three of you laugh, so I know what that means, and none of you laugh, so I know what that means. Good morning, y'all how are you? How are you Good, 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 good. Well, it is good to be here again i'm zach wilkie i am i've been an intern here I am a Bible student I have I'm um, served here I grew up in this church and so every now and then I get the opportunity to come back and preach to y'all and spend some time in the word and so this morning I am very very excited when we started this series who is this man uh, several weeks ago I got to kick it off and one of the things that I said when I was talking through this series with 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 dad is Um, I I wanted the temptation. (laughs) I wanted the temptation of Christ. This is one of my favorite passages. It's one of the harder passages, and I love diving into this. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, So so I'm excited to jump in, but we're going to jump into what is a very difficult text because we we don't know how to handle it. We struggle with it. We struggle with it because we struggle with ourselves. And so we're going to dive in. And so I I ask that you lean in your chairs this morning. You lean forward. You, You stick with me. Um, it's going to be an amazing time, I know, but, but it, it, it calls for us to kind of put our own uh, self-image aside and dive into who Jesus is. And note this is coming from the perspective of a young 23-year-old, 23-year-old Bible student. And so th- th- there are going to be ways—this this is just the beginning of a conversation. We need each other to truly understand this. Well, this isn't just my perspective on this. This is the Word. So, so what we're beginning here is a conversation on the humanity of Jesus. And so as we begin into this, just, just take this. That this is just from, from my perspective. What we're beginning here is hopefully a discussion that will continue into your Bible study groups today and continue on forward for the rest of your lives, hopefully. So I want to dive into this, but I always ask this one when, when we preach. That I ask that you pray with me and for me as I preach. This is a community experience. This is a community uh, center. This is the body of Christ. So please pray with me and for me as I preach, and we will dive in. So let's pray together. God, it is is your word that we're diving into today, and so, so Lord, I ask that you just have your way. God, convict us of of areas we seem to push aside, grow us in areas where we're weak, encourage us. God, there there are going to be many people in this room who are in wildernesses of their own this morning, God, and I pray that you are encouraging them through your word here. Lord, thank you for this time. Give us clarity, give me clarity, and let this be a time for you. It's in your name. Amen. <clears throat> well, be, before we jump into the actual text, I, I, uh, I, I, I want to show you guys, um, this is from my perspective, so I want to show you guys a personal uh, story or experience of what it has looked like in my life uh, for God to keep, keep, keep me safe from sin and temptation, right? I actually have actual footage of what this looks like. I, I, I stumbled on this video a little a while back, and I was like, man, this is what it looks like for God to protect me from sin. So check this out. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, that's it. That is it. That is what it looked like. It's been an aggressive trail. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a long, hard journey, but God's been faithful. No, so that, that actually is the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams who lost last week in the Super Bowl. But this is actually, it's been all over the news lately. I don't know if you guys know, in the NFL, there's actually a position called the get back coach. And their full position, their full-time job is to keep the coach off the sideline. Um, which I, I've had a lot of very temporary jobs, but I've never had a job no that I knew I could be replaced by a traffic cone. But, but, but look, look, I saw this video a few weeks ago, and I was like, man, this is awesome. What a funny job. But this is actually how we view God's handling of temptation in our lives, isn't it? We often see God as just kind of this like, oh, no, stay back. Oh, no, stay back. Kind of pushing us away from evil and away from sin and away from temptation, when in reality, we, we end up making ourselves the fighter in this battle. And this video, it, it, it kind of illustrates how we kind of see this, this fight of, of sanctification, of growing in the Lord, of pushing back from former sin, of pushing back against temptation that enters every day of our lives. We kind of see it as like, like a Sith Lord from Star Wars throwing you know, lightning bolts our way and we're trying to dodge it, right? But that's not what this is. That is not what this is. Or we see it like a good versus evil concept in a Hollywood movie, Right? And maybe, maybe this, this, this concept that we struggle with in temptation, this, this hard understanding of, of Jesus' temptation comes from a fear of our own temptation. Maybe it comes from a hate of ourselves. Maybe it comes from, 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 from just a desire to not even push into that because we can't comprehend who Jesus is here. Maybe we have been so hurt by our own sin that we, have, we refuse to touch this topic. We refuse to touch it because all it will do is hurt us and make us cry and, and break us down with stuff we don't want to feel again. But we come to passages like this, especially when we go through a chronological look of Christ, we come to passages like this and we either skip over it or we quickly move over it believing there's no way to understand it. A few weeks ago, we talked about how, how Christ had to assume that which he was going to heal. He had to become what, what he was going to heal. In other words, he had to become sin so we could become righteousness. This is why he lived a life of perfection, a life of obedience, even in the midst of, of radical temptation that he had to endure to be the Savior. And I, I fear the only time we really get into temptation is when someone else brings it up as an an accountability group, which actually isn't an accountability group in the first place. It's a commiseration group where we're actually challenging each other with who has bigger temptation. And so all we're doing is commiserating and suffering in the sin of our lives, not in the victory of Jesus. And so there's no growth. You're stuck. You stalemate yourself, and you never move forward. So with that, let's dive into Jesus' temptation, shall we? Let's dive into Jesus' temptation. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke 4, 1 through 14. Luke 4, 1 through 14. Luke chapter 4, 1 through 14. We're going to look at, there's three Gospels that talk about this. We'll look at each of them here in a moment. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world at a moment in time and said to him, "'To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours.' And Jesus said to him, "'It is written, "'You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve.'" Please jump over to Matthew 4 for me. Matthew 4. We'll look at that now here. This is where we'll spend most of our time this morning. Matthew 4. We have another account, just slightly different here, different in order, but, but same story, different gospel writer. Matthew 4.1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, as you would be. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, every, uh, again, the devil took to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Finally, look at Mark 1, 12, and 13. It's our last passage that talks about this. It says this The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the midst of, or he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is crazy. This is crazy. Look, we have, we've talked about the perfect man, Jesus Christ, the perfect God, Jesus Christ, merged into one entity, holy God, holy man, fully both, tempted by the enemy, Satan, just as we are. And and, and, and this is hard for us because we approach this text and it is very easy to accept a God who is different from us. Because when we accept someone different from us, it's much easier to grasp who they are. But to accept a God that has to experience, and is similar to us, is far harder because we then see ourselves in that God. So our first response to this is usually assume it's either allegorical or it didn't happen. So let me reassure you that this story is historically accurate. Three Gospel writers wrote their Gospels at three separate times writing very, very, very close narratives of this experience. So Jesus was actually tempted by the enemy and actually went through 40 days of the worst temptation known to man. So there's three points to take away from this we're going to look at. the point number one, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, led Jesus into this experience. Matthew 4.1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Mark 1.12, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Jesus has just finished his baptism, and like moments after is now led into the wilderness to experience this hardship. See, this this is the plan of God, part of of Christ acquiring our redemption, and, and, and it is so vital to understand that this is not just stagecraft, this is not just good narrative, this is not just theatrics, but Jesus actually experienced temptation here. That this is really and truly central to salvation because he actually experienced the human experience despite being perfect and living in a perfected humanity in other words he struggled in these moments he felt pressure in these moments he wanted to give in in these moments he wanted to defend himself but this was the plan of God for Jesus enacted by the guidance of the Spirit Christ did not just go on a walk and stumble into the devil and decide to go through temptation. He went into the wilderness. And look, the imagery here, by the way, is amazing. In historical narrative, the wilderness is always represents a coming of age. It's where you go to, to go through an experience. It's where you go to, to for a boy becomes a man. You, you, you go into the chaos, the unexpected experience. It's where boys become men. Individuals go to prove themselves. So. Jesus, our Savior, goes into the wilderness and and fights this battle on our behalf, as we're about to talk about. And this quickly so, Spirit led Christ into this experience. This leads in the second point that Christ's temptation is relatable. Christ's temptation is relatable. Uh, looking back at Matthew 4, it says, After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He answered, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said, You, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Uh, It is written he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands you will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And then Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put your Lord, your God, to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you, you will fall down and worship, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. So the antagonist here, we've read, I've read this story multiple times because I want you to get this story like rattling through your head. The antagonist here, the bad guy, is Satan, the fallen angel. One of Jesus' beloved servants who betrayed him and became the ambassador of deception and lies. The holy God in flesh, Jesus Christ, fully man, humbles himself and allows the enemy to, to put him under the most severe temptation. Additionally, he fasts for 40 days, to make sure that his complete dependence was on the Father, so when temptation began, he didn't, began, he didn't depend on himself. <laughs> the, enemy, the enemy tempted him first with what was most obvious: his hunger. See Christ was starving, literally. He was starving and Satan saw this, it was a good place to start, and mockingly encourages him to make loaves of bread from stone. Jesus responds by quoting scripture, Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus won this round by by leaning into the word of God, by using scripture. Ironically, it's the same method that Adam and Eve used in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, right? That that they quote back the words of God to Satan. And what does he do? He changes his method. He changes his method. So, So Jesus is doing the same thing here. He's quoting back the word of God. Satan then brings him to the highest point of the temple and attacks his authority. He says, if if you are the Son of God. Look, he's referencing Jesus' Messiahship here, right? He's Messiah. And, and it was understood in Jewish history, and Jewish like, um, culture, that the Messiah was going to come from a high place, this glorious entrance that we would see maybe in the second coming of Christ, but he didn't come that way. And so the enemy is tempting him to go to the high point of the temple and make this huge display for the, the, the people of Israel, to, to, to show his glory. And he's mocking Jesus, mocking his messianess. He encourages Christ to throw himself off the temple so his father could save him, mocking the relationship between the father and the son. However, actually this time, Satan quotes scripture back to him, referring to his position as Messiah. He tempts the Lord to make that glorifying display, but Christ quotes back scripture, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Satan then finishes by taking the Lord to a high mountain, overlooking all the kingdoms. And the enemy offers to give all of these beautiful possessions to Jesus as long as he worships the enemy. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.13 and 10.20, you, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And, and this completes Christ's time of temptation. But I want us to notice a few things here. First is how the devil tempts the Lord, right? He starts with physical desire, starvation. He taunts the Lord. He taunts something obvious. He, he goes for those things that Christ n- not only desires but actually does need. But instead, Jesus eats of the Word of God instead, eats of the bread of the Lord. He, the, the enemy then tempts the Lord with authority and the glory of Messiahship. And, and, and this is something Jesus would undoubtedly desire, being that his entire existence in humanity so far was being a peasant. So, so, so God in flesh, he de- look, he, he deserves the glory, right? He taunt, and, and the enemy taunts him and questions the Father's protective spirit toward Jesus. And lastly, he tempts him by offering the ultimate plan of God, right, to give Jesus authority. So G- he actually tempts Jesus with the plan of God, right? Jesus, This was Jesus' possessions. He was the creator, the force born of creation. This was his right. So maybe he can skip all of this this painful stuff and just jump to the authority part. Now here's what we have to ask in all of this. Do you think Jesus struggled? Of course he did. This is probably some of the most agonizing moments in his life on earth because ultimately all of the things Satan offered him could be justified as things he deserved. Christ could have said, I have not eaten for 40 days. I will die soon. I deserve a loaf of bread. What will it hurt? Jesus could have said, I have yet to truly receive the welcome due to me, so maybe I should create a big display near the temple so the people know who I am. Jesus could have said, I made these kingdoms. They are already under my Father's guidance. I would not hurt, it would not hurt anything to claim them as my own. But he didn't say that. Rather, he remembered the Father had a plan no matter what the cost was, even if it meant death to himself. See, this temptation was radical in in his real humanity. He felt the pull. He felt the desire that Christ was actually tempted, and he had to be. See we have salvation because, because Christ remained faithful in the midst of real temptation. We talk about the cross, but we don't talk about this. We have salvation because Christ lived a life of perfection and achieved what is now afforded to us through his obedience. Romans 1, 1-5 says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, he really liked himself, you could tell. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, Through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. Look, Christ lived an obedient lifestyle so we could receive the obedience of faith. His obedience is your obedience because you have the spirit of God. You are imputed and forwarded given that obedience of Christ. Now we, now, we wrestle with this because we love to see Christ as God, but we can't fathom his humanity except when we read about the cross. I have heard many say that, that, that because Christ is God, this temptation perhaps wasn't the full effect of temptation. That it's not similar to what we're experiencing. Even more people believe this in their theology of Christ, but they, they don't say it. They won't say it, but they kind of think, did he really struggle? that Christ does not really understand because he was perfect, right? He lived in a perfected humanity. But I've got one question. If Christ actually felt and endured the real pain and agony of the cross, a topic we love to talk about, why would he have not felt in the real temptation? Why? Hebrews 4, we just read it. Since we, then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. One of my favorite uh, pastors to, to read from is a guy from the like, 40s in World War II. His name is Helmut Thielicke. It took me two years of Bible school to learn how to say that. Helmut Thielicke. He, he, he was a pastor in Germany. He was a German teacher and pastor and for some reason, he was given special privilege to live in Germany during the Nazi regime and continue teaching. By the grace of God, he was allowed to continue teaching and so his, his contemporary, Bonhoeffer, was, was killed, right? But he was allowed to teach and so he taught students quietly in this small church in Germany theology and how to be pastors in hard times. He taught against the Nazi regime, he taught against everything that the government was doing, but he taught the Word of God. And he wrote letters to his students. And one of these these letters is now a book called on On the Temptation of Christ called Between God and Satan. And there's a few things I want to quote here. He says this in an amazing, amazing quote about this experience of Christ. In these four little words, thy will be done. Therefore I say exactly what the Savior says in the desert. When he says, I live by the word of God, I live by his promise, no matter how that promise may be fulfilled whether the stones become bread or whether they remain stones, and whether or not help unexpectedly arrives in the time of need. See, what he's saying is Christ denied himself and perfected the human experience in the midst of temptation by saying, even if God doesn't deliver me, I'm going to stay faithful. He's fulfilling the the same act of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even if my God does not save me from this furnace, I will stay faithful and eat of the word of God. Therefore, this makes it possible for us to come to Christ with needs and with prayers, so, so he can relate. This is why he's the perfect person to pray on our behalf. This leads actually into the third point that Christ, Now Christ's temptation is relatable, but Christ's temptation is also unrelatable. Christ's temptation is unrelatable. See, Christ was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he fasted for 40, uh, 40 days. <laughs> Not 40 years, oh my gosh. He then endured temptation, delivered directly from the devil himself, and came out the victor. Now, it's common for us to read this story and read Hebrews 4 and say, That's right, the enemy is tempting me. And say, I must just be in my own wilderness right now, and, and the enemy's just whispering in my ear. And I'm going to argue and say that your temptation is nothing close to Jesus's. I'm going to argue and say that that actually in the Bible Belt, we like to say the devil made me do it, but in reality, we are our own struggler. Follow me here, follow me here. We treat failed attempts of resisting temptation as some sort of involuntary action where the spirit of Satan himself was whispering in our ear and we were just puppets that he controlled. Look, we are our own worst enemies. Our flesh, we are the reason we fall. We, we have former sin, former struggles. Our souls are cleansed, but our flesh is still in the process. Paul recognizes this in Romans 7. He says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. And then James writes in chapter 1, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Look, we face temptation in every moment of our lives, saved or unsaved. What sticks with us every moment until glory is flesh. It's fallen humanity. Our sinful flesh still pulls at our desires even after our souls are cleansed in the blood of Christ. So our temptation is not as much a battle between us and Satan as a battle between us and ourselves. Now, if we struggle with so much with our own flesh, imagine how much more we would struggle if the enemy himself was doing the temptation. See, Christ did this. In fact, temptation was so gnarly, we have this, this, this mind-boggling verse at the end of the story in Matthew. Then the devil left and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. The angels, have you ever had temptation so intense that you can't stand it, that the angels had to come and pick your decrepit body up off the ground and say, I'm going to breathe life into you. You have nothing left. Have you had that? No. Jesus did this because you don't have to. So this fight that we have, dear ones, is not between us and Satan. It is between God and Satan and we are the battlefield. And we lean different directions every day. And we let ourselves believe that we are the victors in this, but Jesus was, always has been, but we don't believe it. We don't believe it. Every day we forget this. Jesus faced the enemy that, so we don't have to. Not just the cross. Not just the cross. I am fascinated by the church's confusing teaching here. We bring people into the family of God. We, they accept Christ. We tell them they've found victory in the Lord and that he, we have conquered the, uh, he has conquered the fight of sin for us. But then the church indoctrinates believers post-salvation with the idea that the devil is all around them, tempting them constantly. While temptation is present in everyday life, dear ones, the fight is not between us and the devil. It is between God and Satan, and we are what they're fighting over. The temptation we feel 99.9% of the time is going to be that of our own ghosts and struggles. Now, don't get me wrong. There are endless passages that discusses the enemy's influence in this world, right? And the enemy has a huge influence in this world. He is the, he is the prince of perversion. He is the enemy of all that is good. And he has a huge influence on this world. One that touches every one of us. But I'm talking about these day-to-day struggles, I'm talking about these day to day temptations that, that, that we are the ones that make ourselves, that, that allow ourselves to fall into sin. And I believe it is so destructive for our spiritual growth to not accept the fact that we actually have to depend on Jesus because we can't do it on our own. By simply writing sinful behavior off as the devil's influence, we are neglecting to trust in Jesus. Dear ones, When Jesus approached the enemy in the wilderness, he was going to war. He was going to war. The battlefield was us, and he walked away victorious, having conquered the prince of perversion for us, so we can put our focus on conquering our own sinfulness in the process of sanctification. Jesus agonized in the human experience, conquering something none of us could do. And so we arrive at these famous verses, like 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now let me clarify, this does not say you're gonna get temptation that you can always handle. This means that there's always gonna be the Savior. There's always gonna be Jesus, right? If you are reading verses like this and saying, okay, I can actually handle this, you're gonna lose every time. If you decided to stop watching pornography on the internet and you say, oh, this verse tells me I can do it, you're gonna lose. You've gotta fill your life with Jesus. That is what this is saying. There's always an out, and he declared victory over the sin that we struggle with. But it's not about victory in our own lives. I am spitting like there's no tomorrow. (laughs) See, dear ones, this story is pivotal pivotal to Christ because after salvation, the story where we find ourselves in war, the war we call sanctification, our general is God, our weapon is the word, and our victory is Christ. This war is not between us and the devil, it is between us and our flesh. But I fear we do not treat our spiritual lives with the urgency the the war should be treated with. I believe that, that this battle is simply supplemental to our life. When in reality, fight, we, we, we have fighting hard to grow forward in Christ, but not let our own messiness slow us down. Tealica, that pastor, says this in, his, in one of his books, Thus then, we fear solitude and death, because there we are faced with the hour when we are alone with our guilt and are called upon to pass judgment on ourselves. And therefore, death and solitude can only be born without illusions if the grace of God supports our life and he is our savior who has trod in death and hell and all their powers beneath his feet. Only then can we go into the wilderness. Only then can we confront ourselves as the son of God does here by letting the word fight for us and not our flesh and blood and that means in the last resort by letting God fight for us because we may have him for our friend and be at peace with him death where is thy sting god is here christ is here. Each day we approach the wilderness the enemy before us is not Satan, it's the remnants of our sin. However, as Telica states, states, the only reason we can tread into the wilderness is because Christ already did. Therefore, this story, this temptation is vital because it shows us how and why we can go forth in each day of this shadowland of eternity, the, the, the in-between what we're in, the now but not yet, Where our souls are saved and our flesh is not, that we can move forward because Christ's victory in temptation, in real, true temptation. So, (laughs) right now in life, many of you are in the desert, probably all of you. You're in the wilderness. You are in a place where you are exhausted, stressed, overwhelmed, anxious, depressed, scared, angry, or in pain. You feel the pull of former sin, of current sin, constantly approaching you in the wilderness of life, and and, and you you feel like you have nothing to offer in terms of strength and will. You you have nowhere to go. You have no indication there is an oasis anywhere near you in this wilderness. The only option you have in front of you seems to be backsliding, and and if you hear anything from this text today, hear this, that that when it seems like you can't go forward, you can't go backward, you can't go left or right, the only way to look is up. The only way to look is up. You are in the wilderness of life right now because, because Christ was first. You are surrounded by the Father's love, Christ's obedience, and the Spirit's guidance. And your soul is untouchable. Your spirit is that of God's. Your flesh is being redeemed. You may feel like the wilderness of your life is uncharted and unknown and territory everywhere you look, but the point is Christ treaded there first, but you are never in a place that God hasn't been or currently is. You are never outside of his love. You are never outside of his protection. The pains of exhaustion and the weaknesses are temporary. The victory of faithfulness and love is eternal. The fear of solitude and loneliness are conditional, and the unity with Christ is permanent. It's permanent. Your fight is already won. Stop fighting. Stop. This is it. Your, your job is to trust that Christ has won it and let his victory rule in your life. We act like this process is still happening, like the Jesus is still, fight, like still trying to win the battle. When he's won, the only fight happening now is us working our butts off to get to glory. <laughs> it is time we stop attempting to be the Savior we so desperately need and let the Savior Christ be the Savior we've always needed. So let's get really practical, shall we? Perhaps one of the most asked questions in the church is, how do I overcome temptation? How do I overcome temptation? You don't. You don't. You're always going to be tempted. There's no not being tempted. You stop trying to overcome temptation and you press into the word of God. You press into the victory of Christ. You recognize that temptation will distance itself when your only option is the word of the Lord. That temptation can stay at bay if you trust in Jesus and you trust in those moments. That your ability to say no in a single moment will grow and deepen as you press in to Jesus. And you're reminded that he has done it. There's one more quote I want to read from Tilica. This this is an amazing quote that changed my life when I read it a few years ago. He says this, And because he is the Lord, who stands in the purity of heaven beyond all sin, we may pray him to keep us from temptation. We are certain of his love to all eternity. Christ not only marches on our right hand against death and the devil, but he upholds us too from his sight because he is the Lord. The knowledge that we are sheltered by his power gives us that peace which the world cannot give or take away from us. How uncertain is the place which the world gives! Perhaps it is the quiet, achieve, quiet, chi, uh, me. It is the quiet achieved by those who believe they have unveiled the meaning of the world history and resigned themselves to it in peace because they have found a resting point in the flux of outward appearances. Or perhaps it is the uninterested indifference of those who take it as it comes. But the peace of Jesus, which the world cannot give or take away, is the peace of that double certainty that Christ is the Lord of the events which surge around us and is Lord too. Of that depth in the stream of human events which we found to be temptation as hanging in between God and Satan and it is the peace given by the other certainty that even in that event and even in those depths, Christ is with us. Lord and brother, king and comrade, our ruler and sharer of our sufferings. That is the sublime wonder of the saving power of Jesus. We march beneath this wonder as beneath the sky which arches over us. Wherever we may stand, we live in the name of his wonder. Jesus, our Lord and brother, that is what gives us the peace that is higher than all reasoning. In other words, he said, you can pursue everything in this world, but the only thing that allows us to tread forward under this blanket of exhaustion is Jesus. That's what he's saying. And he wrote this with Nazis surrounding his doorstep. Every day he was nervous that the, that, that the Nazi regime would break down his door and take him to prison. But he wrote this to his students saying, fear not of this temptation of the enemy pulling at your thoughts, pulling at your hope, for you have the Lord Jesus, that is who you press into. This is amazing. Victory over trials has been achieved. Jesus entered the wilderness sacrificially. So, as we enter the wilderness of life, our victory is not dependent on our own actions. So, we must look to this story of Christ's temptation that we just read and be reminded that our life of faith has always been born and found in the substance of Christ, in Christ Jesus. So, what does this mean? It means Christ has won. It means Christ has done it. We have a very intimate picture of Christ's temptation, something that I feel all of us would not like to have people reading about. But Christ's temptation is seen right here for one reason, so we can look at it and say, man, Jesus did it. Gosh, I'm so glad I didn't have to do that. So, in those moments, In those moments where you're exhausted and you feel temptation creeping your way, you feel the pull, you feel the anxiety, you feel the worry, the depression, you can say, Sweet Jesus, you've done it. Sweet Jesus, you've done it. Be thou my Savior, be thou my my love, my protector from this, 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 this pull that feels so powerful against me. And recognizing that pull is not impossible because when we make the enemy the pull, we feel like we're helpless. But when the poll is ourselves, we can say, no, no, no. I'm Jesus' now. Lord God, you are good. Sweet, sweet Father, you, you have done it. You have sent your Son to do the things we can't even imagine. And God, I pray if anything is taken away from, from these, these moments here of passion, God, I pray that people are reminded that you are the victor, that you've been declared the victor. All of Hebrews says one thing, that you are reigning as our High Priest. So God, I pray you just continue to have your way in our lives and that be if it in the midst of temptation. If that is your plan, then let it be. But God, keep us close to your heart and your protection and let us look back to these stories, these verses of Jesus' life and be reminded that it has always been him. Let spiritual formation not become a thing of daily practices but a thing of daily living. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name, amen. You need a little more passion, son. Um, Kevin Hudson, will you
1: come join me? Uh, Before Kevin gets up here, you know, um, this explains why Hebrews says that we should cast off the sin that so easily entangles us. And we do that by doing what Larry Brevard tells us all the time, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And I appreciated what you said because I do focus on my sin. I do focus on my struggle. Oh, I'm going to blow it here if I'm not careful. And what you're telling me is, who is this man? He's not just the victor in death. It's not just from hell. He's my victor over daily temptation. And if I stop looking at my sin and I start looking at Jesus, I claim the victory. Remember that old hymn we used to sing, A Victory in Jesus? It's all about heaven and hell. Maybe it's also about how we live, too. Thanks, Zach. That's a tough passage. You did great. Uh, Kevin is the chairman of our Elder Board,
5: and uh, I'm going to turn it over to him. So my name is Kevin Hudson. For those uh, who don't know me, may be visiting. I've already heard from my better half this morning. But um, as the chairman of the Elder Council, I have a uh, presentation to make this morning, and I would like to uh, read that for you. This is a certificate of license for Zachary Samuel Wilkie, a minister of the gospel. And it's signed by all the elders of this church. And we would like to present that to Zach this morning. And um, this will allow him some um, processes of being able to perform some services. But he's still uh, ongoing in his continued uh, work toward completion. But I would like to, as a church, for us to uh, pray a blessing over Zach this morning. And uh, for those of you who are reading with us in Numbers, you read this this morning. So I'd like for you to uh, bow with me as we pray this blessing over Zach. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen. One more thing. Zach will not be
1: preaching much here anymore because he accepted a position at Fellowship Church in Dallas this last week. So. You're fired. (laughs) Bible study is going to start in
4: about five minutes.